Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. We now continue. Tonight we continue Poor Dear Margaret Kirby. Instead, there came in a cheerful little woman who introduced herself as Mrs. Kippum. She was one of the chattering, confidential type so often found in her position. Now, you wanted Mrs. Kirby, didn't you? She said regretfully. She's out. I'm the housekeeper here. And I thought if it was just a question of rooms, maybe I'd do as well. There's some mistake, said John, and he was still weak enough to feel himself choke at the disappointment. I I want Mrs. John Kirby, a very beautiful Mrs. Kirby, who is quite prominent and... Oh, yes, indeed, said Mrs. Kippum, lowering her voice and growing confidential. That's the same one. Her husband failed and all but killed him. You know, you've read about it in the books. She sold everything she had, you know, to help out the firm, and then she came here. Bought out an interest in this, said John, very quietly, in his winning voice. Well, she just came here as a regular guest first, said Mrs. Kippum with a cautious glance at the door. I was running it then, but... I'd got into awful dad, and my little boy was sick. I got to telling her my worries. Well, she was looking for something to do, a companion or a private secretary position, but she didn't find it, and she had so many good ideas about this house and helped me out, so just talking things over, that finally asked her he wouldn't be my part, and she was glad to. She was just about worried to death at that time. I thought Mrs. Kerb... Property, investments in her own name, John said. Oh, she did, but she put everything right back into the firm, said Mrs. Kip. Lots of her old friends went back on her for doing it, the little woman went on in a burst of loyal anger. However, and very much enjoying her listener's close attention, I declare my luck seemed to change the day she took hold. First thing was that her friends, and a lot that weren't her friends, came here out of curiosity and had advertised the place. Then she slaves day and night, goes right into the kitchen herself and watches things, and she has such a way with She knows how to manage them, and the result is that we've got the house back for next winter and we'll have as many as 30 people here all summer long. I feel like another person... The tears suddenly brimmed her weak, kind eyes, and she fumbled with her handkerchief. You'll, you'll think I'm crazy running on this way, said little Mrs. Kippum. But everything has gone so good. My Lestie is much better, and as things are now, I can get him into the country next year, and I feel like I owed it all to Margaret Kirby. Hun tried to speak, but the room was wheeling him. As he raised his trembling hand to his eyes, a shadow fell across the doorway, and Margaret came in. Tired, Abby, laden with bundles, she stood blinking at him a moment 
and then, with a sudden cry of tenderness and pity, she was on her knees by his side. Margaret! Margaret! whispered. What have you done? She did not answer, but gathered him close in her strong arms, and they kissed each other with wet eyes. A few weeks later, John came to the boarding house nervous, discouraged, still weak. Despite Margaret's bravery, they both felt the position a strained and uncomfortable one. As day after day proved his utter unfitness for a fresh business start and the cruel, jarring competition of the big city, John's spirits nagged pitifully. He hated the boarding house. It's only the bridge that takes us over the river, his wife reminded him. But when a little factory in a little town half a day's journey away offered John a manager's position at a salary that made them both smile, he let him accept it without a murmur. Her courage lasted until he was on the train, traveling toward the new town and the new position. But as she walked back to her own business, a sort of nausea seized her. The big, heroic fight was over. John's life was saved, and the debt reduced to a reasonable burden. But the deadly monotony was the drudgery of days and days of hateful labor, the struggle. For what? When could they ever take their place again in the world that they knew? Who could ever work up again from debts like these? Would John always be the weak, helpless, convalescent? Or would he go back to the old type, the bored, silent man of clubs and business? Margaret turned a grimy corner and was joined by one of her boarders, a cheerful little arm. Well, we'll miss Mr. Kirby, I'm sure, said little Mrs. Camp as they mounted the steps. And by the way, Mrs. Kirby... You won't mind if I ask if we might just now and then have some of the new towels on our floor, will you? We never get anything but the old thin towels. Of course, it's Alma's fault, but I think everyone ought to take a turn to the new towels as well as the old, don't you? Speak to Alma, said Margaret, turning her key. A lonely, busy autumn followed, and a winter of hard and thankless work. I feel like a plumber's wife, smiled Margaret to Mrs. Kippum when in November John wrote her of a raise. But when he came down for two days at Christmas time, she noticed that he was brown, cheerful and amazingly strong. They were as shy as lovers on this little holiday, Margaret finding that her old maternal half-patronizing attitude toward her husband did not fit the case at all, and John almost as much at a loss. In April she went up to Applebridge and they spent a whole day roaming about in the fresh spring fields together. It's really a delicious little place, she confided to Mrs. Kippen when she returned. The sort of place where kiddies carry their lunches to school and their mothers put up preserves and everybody has a surrey and an old horse. John's quite a big man up there. After the April visit came a long break, for John went to Chicago in the July fortnight. After the April visit came a long break, for John went to Chicago in the July fortnight they had planned to spend together. And when he at last came to New York for another Christmas, Margaret was in bed with a bad throat and could only whisper her questions. So another winter struggled by, and another spring. And when summer came, Margaret found that it was almost impossible to break away from her increasing responsibilities. But on a fragrant, soft October day, she found herself getting off the early train in the little station, and as a big man waved his hat to her, 
and they turned to walk down the road together. They smiled into each other's eyes like two children. "'Were you surprised at the letter?' said John. "'Not so much surprised as glad,' said Margaret, coloring like a girl. They presently turned off the main road and entered a certain gate. Beyond the gate was an old, overgrown garden, and beyond that house, a broad, shabby house, and beyond that a house, a broad, shabby house, and beyond that again an orchard and barns and outhouses. John took a key from his pocket and they opened the front door. Roses looking in the back door, across a bare, wide stretch of hall, smiled at them. The sunlight fell everywhere in clear squares on the bare floors. It brightened the big kitchen and glinted in the pantry, still faintly redolent of apples stored on shelves. It crept into the attic and touched the scored casement, where years ago a dozen children had recorded their heights and ages. Margaret and John came out on the porch again, and she turned to him with brimming eyes. It suddenly swept over her, with a thankfulness too deep for realization, that this would be her world. She would sit on this wide porch, waiting for him in the summer afternoons. She would go about from room to room on the happy, commonplace journeys of housekeeping, would keep the fire blazing against John's return. And in the years to come, perhaps there would be other voices about this old house. There would be little shining heads to keep the sunlight always there. Margaret, do you like it? said John, his arm about her, his face radiant with pride and happiness. Like it, said Margaret. Why, it's home. So the Kirbys disappeared from the world. Sometimes a newcomer at Margaret's club would ask about the great portrait that hung over the library fireplace. The portrait of a cold-eyed woman with beautiful pearls about her beautiful throat. Then the history of poor dear Margaret Kirby would be reviewed. Its triumphs, its glories, Margaret's brilliant marriage, her beauty, her wit. These only led to the final tragic scenes that had ended it all. And now she's grubbing away, dear knows where, her biographer would say carelessly. Absolutely, they might as well be buried. But about seven years after the Kirby's disappearance, it happened that four of Margaret's old intimates, the T. Ellington Freres and the Josiah Dunnings, were taking a little motor trip in the Dunnings' big car through the northern part of the state. Just outside the little village of Applebridge, something mysterious and annoying happened to the car, which stopped short, and after some discussion it was decided that the ladies should wait therein while the men walked back in search of help. Mrs. Dunning and Mrs. Frary, settling themselves comfortably in this tonneau for a long wait, puzzled themselves a little over the name of Applebridge. I can just remember hearing of it, said Mrs. Dunning sleepily. But when or where or how, I don't know. They opened their books. A brilliant May afternoon throbbed, hummed, sparkled all about them. The big wheels of the motor were deep in grass and blossoms. On the other side of the road, fields were full with bees and butterflies. Larks looped the blackberry vines with quick flights. Mustard tops showed their pale gold under the apple blossom. Here and there, a white cloud drifted in the deep, clear blue of the sky. There had been rains a day or two before, and in the fragrant air still hung a little chill, a haunting suggestion of wet earth and refreshed blossoms. Somewhere near, but out of sight, 
A flooded creek was tumbling noisily over its shadows. Suddenly, the Sunday stillness was broken by voices. The two women in the motor looked at each other, listening. They heard a woman's voice, singing, then a small boyish voice, then a man's voice. The speakers, whoever they were, apparently settled down in the meadow not more than a dozen yards away for a breathing space. A tangle of vines and bushes screened them from the motor car. Mother, are me and Billy going to turn the freezer? asked a child. And a man asked, Tired, old lady? No, not at all. It's been a delicious walk, said the woman. The two sitting in the motor gasped. Yes, 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 lovey, the woman's voice went on. You and Bill made turn, if Mary doesn't mind. Be careful of my fern, Jack. And then in German, Aren't they lovely in all the grass and flowers, John? Margaret, breathed Mrs. Freire. Poor dear Margaret Kirby. I hope they don't go by this way, whispered Mrs. Dunning after an astounded second. One's so rude, don't you know, forgetting her. She probably won't know us, Mrs. Freire whispered back, adjusting her veil in a stealthily way. Mrs. Freire was right. The Kirby's presently passed with only a cursory glance at the swathed occupants of the motor car. They were laughing like a lot of children as they scrambled through the hedge. John, a big, broad John, as strong as brisk as a boy, carried a tiny barefoot girl in his shoulder. Margaret, her beauty more startling than ever under the sweep of a gypsy hat, her splendid figure a little broader but still magnificent under the cotton gown, her arms full of flowers and ferns, was escorted by two more children, sturdy little boys, who doubled and redoubled on their tracks like puppies. The tiny barefoot girl in her father's arms was only a tangle of blue gingham and drifting strands of silky hair. But the boys were splendidly alert little lads, and their high voices loitered in the air after the radiant, chattering little caravan had quite disappeared. Well, said Mrs. Dunning, poor dear Margaret Kirby, was on Mrs. Freire's lips, but she didn't say it. She and Mrs. Dunning stared at each other for a long minute, utterly at a loss. Then they reopened their book. Isn't it funny how uh, we get caught up in how people might see us? Do you remember at the beginning of the story when poor dear Mrs. Kirby was all wondered, uh, all worried about how they were going to Whether the storm of bad press, how in the world could she possibly get a divorce? Why, this is the great Mrs. Kirby we're talking about here. But, in the end, what mattered was the relationship between her and her husband. Focusing on that helped their marriage strengthen. I don't think there was talk of divorce again. You want some to love as much as Margaret loved John. And if you're looking for someone to love as much as Margaret loved John, might I suggest eHarmony.com. They use science to put people together. You might not be able to meet in person right now, but hey, a Zoom call is better than right. Enter BVJ in the promo code and this will do absolutely nothing because this is not a sponsored read. I want to thank you because we've we've hit a milestone on our downloads and I want to thank you for uh, spreading the word and leaving reviews on iTunes. 
We're always on the lookout for new public domain stories to read so we can keep the party going. So we can keep you going to sleep. Email bigvoicej at gmail.com Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)